Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes. We're broadcast on WKXLAM and FM out of Concord, New Hampshire, and at 101.9 in Manchester, New Hampshire. We're podcast wherever it is you find your podcasts. And if you're listening by podcast, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about it, like us, and um, you know, even use some of your social media to talk about what you hear on our podcasts and check out the Beyond Politics feed for all our podcasts. Well, here in New Hampshire, it's primary season. And it seems like sometimes it's always primary season in New Hampshire. Electoral politics are kind of a state sport. And this year, most of the action in the primaries has been on the Republican side of the ledger, as various incumbent Democrats, at least on the on the federal and on the federal side are um, are unopposed. And to help sort out some of what's been going on and maybe take a little look backwards at now historical event, Kevin Landrigan, noted journalist, award-winning reporter who's covered politics in New Hampshire for quite a while, writes for theunionleader.com, is joining us today. Kevin, welcome to Capital Close-Up. Great to be with you, Paul. Thanks. So yesterday, Sunday, was a somber day. It was 9-11. And uh, 21 years ago today, everything everything changed in America. Um, it was an, uh, a day that, that, that many of us uh, will remember um, in this generation. It's probably uh, kind of like the Pearl Harbor uh, day for World War II era folks, um, a day that will general, genuinely live in infamy. Um, we all remember where we were, or what we were doing, uh, the shocking, shocking events and um, all that followed. Um, what are your thoughts, Kevin, 21 years on? Um, there's now a whole new generation of people who um, who are active, who are able to vote, who weren't around on 9-11. Um, at the U.S. Open, the two winners on the women's and men's side were respectively 21 years old and 19 years old. Um, so we have a 19-year-old winner of the U.S. Open who was never alive for 9-11. What are your thoughts about, about where it took us and 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 whether or not what we're seeing today in terms of our political divisions mm. have anything to do with 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 what happened then and what what happened to America on 9/11 yeah they um certainly there were some some really good memorial services over the weekend to to mark the occasion i think it's um as you point out with um so many years having passed by that I think it makes it even more important we continue to um, mark the occasion and talk about what um, what happened that day and what our responses have been since. I think certainly what what's memorable to me is that, you know, really in response to the terrorist attacks, and the horrific losses that we endured on that day, the country really came together um, over the next six months ago or so and really demonstrated a, 
um, a willingness to um, to compromise on things and get things done. Congress adopted a number of um, policies in response to 9-11. Certainly the Patriot Act was probably the most significant one, but there were many that created a Department of Homeland Security after 9-11. Um, a lot of changes occurred, and it is kind of unfortunate that uh, that sense of unity that that emerged in response to what happened on 9-11 has, has really dissipated a great deal. And we're obviously left with a whole lot of division now. Um, that's not particularly good for the democracy, in my view. Yeah, you know, we, the, the entire world came, came together um, yeah. for a brief, a brief moment um, uh, in the face of this unspeakable act and, and, the, tra <laughs> and the tragedy. The country was seemingly united. Um, we had been, we were attacked by a, by a shadowy non-state uh, terrorist group, which had, which turned our our you know our 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 air air system against us using planes planes as weapons right. and and <clears throat> what followed however was um something that created great challenges and divisions in the country because um the the then administration of George W Bush um Donald Rumsfeld uh Dick Cheney decided to go to war in Iraq, um, which uh, had not had anything to do with the attacks. And the war in Iraq really caused great divisions in the country. Yeah, no, that's true. Very much so. Uh, um, and um, uh, there continues to be um, a real split among our among the people about um, foreign engagements. Uh, there are certainly a lot of, and we're seeing it in this campaign, there are certainly a, a number of candidates talking about uh, even being opposed to the U.S. being involved in Ukraine to the degree we are, that um, 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 that a number of people in this country, think um, particularly with the with the with high inflation that um, and other issues that we shouldn't be involved in these foreign entanglements. Foreign entangle foreign entanglements have, have been an an issue for Americans <laughs> from from the very beginning. I mean, once yeah. what what once we once we got over the revolution, and then of course the British <laughs> came back for the War of eighteen twelve. We were a, a a poor country at the time, a poor struggling country that that had um, a little appetite or or ability to to engage in foreign entanglements. World War Two changed. Everything I mean, <laughs> basically saved, saved, led led the coalition that saved the world from from fascism and and Hitler. We then got embroiled in the Vietnam War, which split the country. And after nine eleven, uh, we invaded Iraq and then uh, went into Afghanistan with, to probably the delight 
of both bin Laden, who we eventually got and killed, but to the also to the delight of the Russians, who had been uh, mired in Afghanistan uh, for on their own part for a 20-year war, then saw us mired in Afghanistan um, for 20, 20 odd years with a chaotic withdrawal just recently, um, as well as a withdrawal from Iraq that took a terrible toll on the psyche of the country um, mm. in terms of our ability as a nation to engage in nation building. Because we went into Iraq, toppled Saddam Hussein, um, and, and they are still a mess. And they're a mess that has turned towards Iran um as their as their as their chief ally in Iraq um and in Afghanistan um 20 years of american involvement preceded by 20 years of uh, soviet russian involvement has sort of resulted in no change at all it's the taliban the taliban is back and along the way our politics changed tremendously you know i i i i ran for congress in first in 2004 uh and i ran on opposition to the war in iraq because i said it was it's the wrong i said it was basically it's the, it's the wrong war in the wrong place um when and we shouldn't be there uh, i got elected in 2006 and helped uh, lead the opposition to the war in iraq among a newly elected democratic uh, majority uh, right. in 2006 and then of course we saw uh, president obama the first african-american uh, elected to the presidency in 2008. And I was reminded the other day, somebody was talking to me about Representative Louis Gohmert of Texas, who at the first State of the Union address uh, of President Obama, uh, shouted out from the floor, you lie. Um, and in, in, a, in, in a way, um, the election of President Obama has unleashed this undercurrent of racism in this country, which I think um, we then saw the rise of the Tea Party um, uh, and the 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 absolute fury over the idea that we would have health care, a health care reformed health care system in the country. And uh, from 2010 to uh, 2016, we saw this uh, populist anger and backlash, which resulted in the election of Donald Trump and four chaotic years um, of somebody who appears to be a traitor and a criminal. Um, uh, and now the country is riven. And so the the primary that we're looking at in New Hampshire is in many ways uh, a reflection of um, much of what has happened over the past 20, 20 years. We've got a seemingly popular governor in Governor Sununu, who's still polling pretty well, um, he's facing a primary. He's facing a primary with three opponents. It's something you wrote about in an article mm -hmm. yesterday in theunionleader.com. Um, what's going on with Sununu's primary? What? Who are his opponents? And what do we make of his chances? And what do we think about uh, what he needs to show in order to um, sort of protect his legacy and continue what seems to be his ascendancy in the Republican Party. Yeah, um, certainly. I think I think really in response to 
um, uh, the governor's performance during the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in um, uh, him having this kind of spirited primary, um, uh, really the first one he's he's had to face that uh, of any real significance since he first won in 2016, barely got out of that primary with Frank Edelblue, who he later made commissioner of education. Um, uh, but in this race, um, there's three uh, social and fiscal conservatives running against him. Um, Karen Testament from Franklin, um, she ran in 2020. She's, she's run before statewide for U.S. Senate and governor several times before without a whole lot of success. Um, but was the founder of the Cornerstone Action Research of a socially conservative group. Um, Thad Riley is a first-time candidate for a major office, that is. Uh, he's from Brentwood, served on the Brentwood School Board, um, businessman, um, Julian Assard, Assard uh, is from Derry, uh, served as a Marine, uh, had been running for first congressional district primary for that seat, uh, then switched to run for governor really in response to the protests that occurred regarding the vaccine mandate. Um, all three of these candidates were very critical of this governor and uh, the decision to arrest uh, nine protesters at an executive council meeting who were there uh, to oppose uh, accepting federal vaccine uh, grants. Uh, that's really been the rallying cry for um, for all three of their campaigns. They've, they've run very similar races. They have similar views um, against legal abortions. Uh, they also oppose the use of electronic voting machines. Uh, that's another ish conservative issue they've kind of latched on to um, as well. Um, but um, uh, I think uh, I think the governor um, obviously would like to turn out to be pretty robust, I think, um, because if it is, I think that means more independence is showing up in that primary, and that's certainly would help him. He's um, he polls very strongly with the independent voters, and but if the prime, if the turnout is is light then it's going to be disproportionately very, very conservative and some and include a number of voters who who, who might think uh, he kind of committed um, government overreach in some of the things he did in response to the pandemic, the mass mandates, the shutdown, businesses, all that. Um, so um, um, Two years ago, against Karen Testament, he got 89% of the vote. Uh, that was really at the height of his popularity, uh, certainly, and then, and also during a time when the pandemic was really raging. So um, all incumbents uh, during that time 
politically tended to do well. And I don't think he'll do that well against three opponents. Um, so um, I think if he gets over 70% of the vote, uh, which I think is likely, he'll, he'll be satisfied with that. But, um, but I do think it speaks to, as I was saying, what, um, how many in, in his party, a minority of that in that party, um, were very upset by and continue to oppose a number of, um, of his positions. Um, certainly his opposition, for example, to the parental rights bill, that was, that's another issue they, these conservatives feel strongly about. And, um, and he had threatened to veto it and the legislature ended up being unable to pass it because of his opposition. Uh, so, um, but um, there's a reason why, you know, only one <clears throat> person has won, has served as governor for four two-year terms. That's John Lynch in, in New Hampshire history. It's really hard to do, and it's, you tend to attract enough enemies the longer you're in office. And, um, and while he's popular, I think, I think this race in the fall is, is going to be competitive. I think he, in all likelihood he'll win, but um, um, and certainly not by a landslide. You know, what's interesting to me from, from what you say is while there may still be a lot of um, heat on the, you know, on the conservative side of the Republican um, ledger or on the, on, the, on the right side of the political ledger around <laughs> vaccines and vaccine mandates, which dominated our lives. I mean, it was just the dominant issue in our lives for a for, for years during the height of the pandemic, starting, you know, early in 20, in 2020 and continuing um, in, in general, nationally, uh, vaccine politics, COVID politics don't really show up in national polls as top issues. People are concerned about inflation. They're concerned about the attack on our democracy. Um, they're concerned about uh, women's reproductive rights and the abortion issues that have uh, taken front and center since the Supreme Court decision um, in Dobbs. Um, so it's interesting to hear that in New Hampshire, there is still a lot of heat on the on the right um, against a governor who has has tried, I think, pretty pretty successfully to hew a to to, to forge a path uh, that would keep independence um, on his side and still try to and also try to attract some some sort of centrist or right leaning uh, Democrats, um, but in terms of by by his personality which tends to be an easy, affable personality, uh, and, his, and his politics, um, which uh, have, you know, I mean, he's, he's sort of, he's swung back and forth on various things, including voter fraud and support or non-support for Trump. And he recently, and we'll talk about this in, in the next segment in just a minute, but, um, you know, his various endorsements, but vaccine politics don't seem to play much of a, of a, of a role with the general. Uh, we've been talking in the first segment about uh, our governor, Governor 
uh, Chris Sununu and his popularity, probably lower than it used to be. Um, uh, the Democrats have been pasting him over the abortion uh, issue. Um, he signed a budget with what the Democrats are calling the first ever abortion ban in New Hampshire. Um, uh, and that's created a lot of heat for Democrats and in terms of the, the, the general, where uh, Democratic Senator Tom Sherman, a doctor from Exeter, is uh, running very powerful ads um, against neg very powerful negative ads with a with a somber tone uh, against Governor Sununu over uh, the abortion issue. Uh, obviously, Tom Sherman thinks that that is going to be really important in November. Um, I'm I'm wondering, Kevin, whether you think um, there has been any impact on the governor's on the primary on the Republican side for governor from Tom Sherman's uh, attacks. Um, which I think are pretty powerful against the governor on abortion, or do the conservatives just shrug it off and say, "Oh, that's just Democrats going after our governor. Uh, we've got a lot of other things to uh, complain about for him." Or are, could Sherman's ads be having some impact uh, on the uh, independent vote that has been so crucial to the governor's support? Yeah, it's possible. We'll, we'll certainly. Um... We'll see how that plays out. Um, as we were talking about um, in an earlier broadcast, his Republican opponents have all criticized um, him on this issue for um, for not going far enough um, when it comes to restricting abortion. They would like um, all of them would like to. Um, certainly restrict legal abortions more than he has. And the ban he signed is pretty consistent with what exists in the majority of states right now, which is in the majority of states right now, you, um, abortions are not legal in the third trimester um, or month seven, eight, nine of a pregnancy. Um, and that's what this ban does do. Um, uh, The, but, and and let's just say that previously there had been no such restriction in New Hampshire, as uncommon as abortions are in the third trimester. Um, uh, many Granite Staters for a very, very long time saw no need to to place those kinds of restrictions, leaving it up to a woman and her doctor um, to decide what would be uh, appropriate, uh, the ban that the governor signed uh, when it when it went in was was pretty stark in that it not only restricted abortions in the third trimester, but it made no uh, of the usual exceptions. Um, so in that, I mean, it really it's it's riled the political landscape across the country and it seems to have riled the political yes. landscape in new hampshire so on the right they don't think it goes far enough and on on the left uh it has uh, a lot of folks 
um, pundits and talking heads didn't think it was going to be a big issue, given what was going on in the economy with soaring gas prices and all the uh, economic fallout uh, we had after uh, the COVID pandemic um, uh, has has waned. But it has proved to be a, a, a very significant issue, along with the significant issue uh, about the attacks on our democracy, the fallout from the Trump presidency, which continue to, to roll as Trump faces legal problems all over the lot from, from, the, from federal authorities. He's under investigation by the DOJ uh, for um, mishandling. Uh, top secret and classified documents. There's a, a range of possible crimes that have been committed by his refusal, his his taking documents to Mar-a-Lago and refusing to turn them over. Um, in New York, he's under uh, investigation. Uh, his company and he are, are under investigation. His, his right-hand man, Steve Bannon, was just led away in handcuffs in New York for uh, fraud, um, in terms of raising money and then diverting the money raised to other purposes, something that for, that Trump has been known uh, to do in Georgia, Trump is under investigation for um, uh, election fraud and interference in, in in trying to skew the way the Secretary of State counted votes nationally, given January 6th, there's seditious conspiracy, inciting an insurrection. He's under investigation for that. And meanwhile, he remains uh, the top dog in Republican politics, which, um, you know, many people think that the Republican Party has now just become a, a cult for a fascist autocrat um, who cozies up to right wing to uh, to crazy dictators uh, in North Korea, in Russia. Um, uh, and uh, yet he maintains a powerful uh, presence. Um, interestingly, in the race for U.S. Senate in New Hampshire, Trump has made some comments which seem to indicate which way he's leaning. But he didn't endorse in the uh, Republican primary for U.S. Senate, while Governor Sununu did choose to endorse in that primary. And and the Republican primary has just been it's been it's been wild with the two leading candidates. Um, it appears that retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Don Bolduc, a MAGA Trump Republican, um, is leading against the more establishment, um, uh, Chuck Morse, uh, former Senate Majority Leader, um, and Sununu has weighed in. I guess, curiously, Trump is not. What do you make of that? And if Bolduc wins uh, on, on, on Tuesday in the Republican primary, and Sununu has endorsed his uh, leading opponent, what does that do to Sununu? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, not at all surprised that um, Governor Sununu decided to support Senate President Chuck Morris. Um, their their families go back decades. You know, they both are come from Salem, um, the town on the Massachusetts border, um, and both were very involved in helping start each other's political career. Um, 
So um, I had expected from the very beginning that uh, before the campaign ended that Sununu would be with Morris. Um, I think he waited to make his decision principally because he really wanted to convince uh, Donald Trump to support Morris and thought if the two of them got behind him that uh, he could overcome the lead that Bolduc has enjoyed in the polls for a number of months now, um, and in some polls, um, still pretty significant lead. So we'll see how that works out. I think um, Sununu has been critical of Don Bolduc in the past, referred to him as kind of a conspiracy theorist type candidate, someone who's not a serious candidate in his words, but he's made it clear he'll support him if he's the nominee. He but he has said that it would be more difficult to defeat uh, Maggie Hassan if uh, if Boldick is the nominee, and that that's probably true. I think Boldick suffers from a real inability to raise money. I think that's going to be his biggest problem. Is what it really remains to be seen what happens after Tuesday if if Boldick wins the primary, does the Republican establishment nationally? Um, decide this isn't a terribly winnable race here in the Senate. We we need, as Republicans, we want to take over the majority. Maybe we should invest it elsewhere. Right now, for example, the Senate Republicans have already reserved $23 million in advertising over those last seven weeks here in New Hampshire, but they could cancel or change those reservations. That's happened before. Um, where you, you after after primaries and depending on how elections happen over the last month of an election, it's, it's not at all uncommon for the national parties, both national parties, to make uh, late decisions and move money um, around. And sometimes um, that helps New Hampshire candidates. A lot of times it has not. So yeah. um, because... And that's in part because campaigns in other states are so much more expensive than they are here. So, um, right. you know, well, you know, the 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 race, uh, the the race that Hassan won against uh, Kelly Ayotte um, to take the U.S. Senate seat mm. um, was a hundred million dollar race. I mean, the outside money poured in. It was yes. a hugely expensive race for New Hampshire. And in this race, Bolduc has under $90,000 in the bank heading into the primary. Um, Hassan, uh, the incumbent, is sitting on about $7.5 million. And the Republicans nationally don't think too much of Bolduc. I mean, uh, uh, former chair of the Senate GOP, Senator John Gordon, called Bolduc, quote, not our best nominee. He said it would be a shame to nominate somebody who can't win in the general election. I'm afraid that would be the case for the leading candidate right now. Democrats are are, are licking their chops uh, because they said this has just been a blank show. Um, you know, one of the one of the left wing blogs uh, um, uh, have that as have that as as its headline. Uh, for the Democrats, um, you know, Demo Democrats have said, you know, they couldn't get Sununu. They had no plan B. They had no plan C. Nobody got in for a couple of months. It was literally, you know, all they had was was Bolduc. And you've got Hassan, 
uh, who in a recent poll uh, by San Anselm's College uh, found um, uh, uh, got, got a 39% uh, reelect approval from New Hampshire voters. And last spring, she looked like the most vulnerable um, incumbent uh, in the U.S. Senate. That has, that has now changed. And then there's been all this really interesting play in, 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 in the race. I mean, with, with uh, you were talking about uh, Sununu's endorsement of Morse, their families go way back. Morse is more of the establishment candidate. Sununu is more of an establishment candidate. He's tried to separate himself in many ways from the MAGA Republican wing of the, of the MAGA party. And there were these rumors that Sununu was not endorsing because he was pushing Trump to back Morse. Um, and they ended his 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 office ended up issuing a statement saying, "For the record, the governor did not call President Trump. President Trump called Governor Sununu, and the Senate race came up as part of a larger conversation. The governor encouraged the president to take a look at the Senate race, and uh, thereafter, Trump uh, was uh, on some kind of call-in show and." Uh, talking talking about the race, and he said nice things about Bolduc, as as you know how how Trump says nice things, great things, strong guy, tough. I think he's doing well too. I hear he's up. Um, um, and what what Trump apparently didn't know uh, um, was that there had been uh, big spending in favor of Morse uh, from McConnell's pack. Not only that, um, Schumer. And his pack came in to blast Morse um, as a sleazy politician, handpicked by GOP leader Mitch McConnell. A frenzy of Democratic spending on ads blasting Morse. And that has prompted a, a lot of dialogue um, in, in the political blogosphere about the ethics of one party playing in the primary of another party. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's um, certainly been controversial in in this state. And, you know, we have, when tomorrow's primary is the latest one um, in the country. Uh, Delaware, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire hold the last state primaries tomorrow. So we this has occurred in other states uh, where the national Democrats have have tried to um, get involved in order to um, help nominate um, ultra conservative re Republican candidates, they feel uh, would not be as electable in November, and that's certainly what they're trying to do here by attacking Morris and um, uh, certainly. The amount of money we've seen um, spent uh, by the national parties um, prior to this primary is is really significant, probably unprecedented. I think it's bigger than we've seen before. Um, so um, you wonder where it ends up sort of canceling itself out, right? You've got $3 million from Chuck Schumer's Democratic PAC attacking Morris. You've got $4.5 million from the 
Republican, a Republican super PAC connected to Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, um, the White Mountain PAC, and that's supporting Morris and criticizing Bullock. So um, do they sort of end up um, kind of um, acting across purposes and, and not significantly altering the race? I, I, um, this election also sort is going to be another kind of political science experiment, if you will, in in the accurate in, in the accuracy of polling in the you know in the world we live in, where so many people have you know uh, sort of cut the cord when it comes to owning a landline phone. Um, right. So that makes it harder and harder to be sure. Um, the polls are accurate. So, um, yeah. um, but if you dare to be believed, I, I think this lead Boulder has is too big for, for Morris to overcome, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, personally, I, I think Morris is closer than the polls are telling us. I think that all the things you talked about, about the reliability of polls and the many times we've seen things swing sharply, um, you know, um, in the late stages, there's, I haven't seen any kind of poll today and polls, polls are, you know, useful as snapshots in time. And sometimes they're useful as kind of showing us uh, the trend lines. So the trend lines in the Republican primary certainly reflect the national trend uh, away from um, middle of the road or establishment uh, republicanism, the traditional Republicans, uh, and towards the right-wing MAGA, uh, big lie, uh, storm the Capitol wing of the party, which um, exemplified by Trump, has really taken over the GOP. Um, and even though Snunu has been very popular, the Trump takeover has really steered the New Hampshire state's party focus away from uh, what Sununu would call his pro-business agenda to the culture wars that have been fueling the MAGA base uh, nationwide. And Sununu has, has clashed with Trump from time to time. As you said, he's seen on the right as soft on abortion. Meanwhile, the, the, the hardline crazy wing uh, behind Bolduc, you know, the Bolduc is a guy who once called the governor a communist Chinese sympathizer, and accused the Sununu family business of uh, uh, supporting supporting terrorism. So Bolduc is not afraid of of, of making of making out, outrageous claims, and Bolduc Bolduc took took all the credit for derailing. Um, uh, any thought that Sununu was, was going to run for the U.S. Senate uh, by claiming that, um, you know, that uh, he spooked Sununu out of the run. Sununu, of course, has, has said pretty boldly that uh, Bolduc is a conspiracy theorist type candidate. And, and overall, I mean, yeah. if you think about Republican hopes, um, I mean, you've got a relatively weak Democratic incumbent. If it's true that, that Maggie is at 39 percent, 
than you know the, the the Republicans licking their chops in the spring uh, over the race makes a lot of sense. And uh, of course, Democrats are hoping that they're that the crazier the right wing candidate is, the more hope that um, Hassan can win over independents who who are 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 or thought to be moving away from the MAGA wing of the party. One question I have, Devin, is um, Maggie has never seemed to be as popular as either a governor or a senator um, as her colleague, Jean Shaheen, who is beloved, it, it appears, and wins re-election um, uh, pretty handily. and. Um, has 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 really you know has has really seemed to exemplify the kind of uh, moderate tone from New Hampshire Democrats that that means victory. Maggie's ha has adopted a moderate tone, and she's even you know gone so far as to kind of break with Biden on some issues, and is seen as set trying to set herself apart from Washington Republicans. But her popularity never has been very high as a senator. To what? What do you think's going on? Why is that? Um, that's a that's a good question. I think um, um, they've got similar voting records. I do think. Um, I do think. Jean Shaheen's a, a, certainly, I think, a little more polished politician. She's a little better at um, um, at not only separating herself from uh, a president who's having issues, Joe Biden, but also from the party leadership, I think, as well. I think one of the things that makes um, – Gene Shaheen really popular here, particularly among independent voters, is be, is how strong of a kind of um, foreign policy portfolio she has. Um, I think that really fits well in a state that has a very high percentage of people who've served in the military and uh, and have family members who've served in the military before. She's the only woman. Um, who's ever been on both um, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee. She's extremely well-respected um, in international circles for um, her experience in those areas, has done a lot of foreign travel um, mm. to NATO countries um, because of that experience. I think that's, that's certainly mm. helped uh, right. probably make her um, even more popular than um, than Maggie Hassan is. I, I just yeah. think, you know, ta as a tactic, as, as tactical politicians, um, Sheen is really quite gifted. I mean, and and that's not to say Senator Hassan is isn't, but um, yeah. I think Sheen is is better at that as well. Has had yeah. more experience yeah. at that as well. I think yeah. you have to. You can't really yep, yep. Dis discount that. Hey, Kevin, we're going to have to leave it there. All right. This is Paul Hodes with Capital Close-Up. We'll see you next week.